Hey guys, this is me, Digimove Today. Welcome to a Digimove Today podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and I'm very excited to be here. In this episode, I have Dr. Ann Cox as my guest. She has a BA in psychology. She has a master's in education in kinesiology from University of Virginia, and she has her PhD in kinesiology, sport, and exercise psychology from Purdue University. Uh, Dr. Ann teaches courses in sport and exercise psychology. She holds memberships in international and national professional organizations, including the North American Society for the Psychology of Sport and Physical Activity. At Washington State University, she's a member of the Prevention Science Graduate Faculty. And finally, she's actively engaged in implementing a number of mindfulness initiatives on campus. Uh, Dr. Ann is also a yoga instructor, so I'm really excited to have her here uh, since I think her research is really fascinating. So without further ado, let's just get started. Hi, Doctor. Thank you very much for being here. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My first question for you is if you can tell me about yourself. Uh, any particular direction you want me to start in? Any more professional, more yeah. personal? Professional, more than welcome, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I'm an associate professor at Washington State University, which you probably said in my intro. And uh, my background is in competitive sport, and I, paid, uh, I played competitive sport in college, Division One basketball, and kind of meandered my way into wanting to understand things better in sport and exercise psychology, primarily focusing on physical activity, motivation, and body image. And that long kind of winding research path has led me most recently to studying things like uh, how mindfulness and self-compassion and positive embodiment play a role in our physical activity experiences. Now, you always knew you wanted to do what you're doing? Uh, no, not, I wouldn't say exactly. I think I always knew what I was interested in and that got me as far as knowing what my next step might be. So um, when I was an athlete in college, I was starting to get interested in psychology. So as I sampled all of my classes in my liberal arts education, definitely my sociology and psychology classes were the ones that interested me the most. And then as I was playing sport and struggling, quite honestly, with the psychological aspects of playing sport at a high level, I started just having a lot of questions about that. And so that really naturally led to wanting to apply psychological knowledge to physical activity um, and to sport in particular at the beginning of my career. So it was always kind of like, what's the next step? Okay, the next step is getting a master's degree. I want to learn more about this. And mm -hmm. it sort of just has gone like that. My entire career is following my curiosity. What do I want to know next? Or what do I want to better understand next? And Quite honestly, a lot of it has come from my own life experiences and also observing others around me. I know you did your master's and then after that you went for your PhD uh, at Purdue. So after your master's, can you take me into like, how was it when you decide like, okay, I think I want to continue with my PhD because I know it's a, it's a big step. Yeah, and it wasn't an easy one for me. I'm always kind of in awe of those students who go in and know that they want to do six years of graduate education right off the bat and get their master's and PhD. And that was not the case for me. Um, 
my curiosity got me through my master's degree. My persistence got me through my thesis. I did a research thesis in my master's degree to leave that door open so that I could get a PhD if I wanted to, but I didn't know that I wanted to when I graduated. Mm-hmm. And so I went to kind of explore other career opportunities in college sports. So I went and was an assistant coach at the University of South Carolina for their women's basketball program for a year. And it it really only took a few months. I can't remember now exactly how many, but just a few months into that position, I knew that uh, competitive sport at that level was not for me. Um, The hours are kind of horrendous and uh, the values were quite different from my own. I found that I was not well suited for the kind of win at all costs, do whatever it takes um, kind of mentality. And that I was much more interested in helping people discover how they can be the best possible humans that they can be through physical activity. And that felt like, at least in that program at the time, it felt like something that wasn't matching well with what I wanted to do. And so I got more interested in um, kids and, and adolescents in particular, and I spent the next year coaching at the middle school level and applying to PhD programs. So it was a little bit of a leap of faith um, because I still wasn't sold on the idea that I wanted to make a career out of research. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I had enough curiosity about the kinds of questions I wanted to ask. And so when I teach research now, I always tell students my little formula for understanding if you want to do research is that if you're not interested in research or if you're really having trouble figuring out how to wrap your head around research and kinesiology, I find that it often comes from one of two places. One is you haven't found that burning question that you want to ask, and maybe you never will. Maybe it's not something that you're interested in. So you haven't found that question you're super curious about, or you don't have the skills to complete it. Right, Mm -hmm. So we know that perceptions of competence are absolutely essential for fostering intrinsic motivation in particular. And I think that's what was going on for me at that time was I didn't have the skill set yet, right? So I had a master's degree, so I had some skills, but not very many. And so what I have found is that every single year I developed more skills and that stays true all the way to today. I love research more. So I want students to kind of keep that in mind and don't lose faith that it might feel really frustrating at times and you're not sure if you're cut out for it, but that your love and your interest will will continue to grow over time as you develop those skills, as long as you have that question that you're really passionate about answering. The question, Doctor, can always, can can change, like can we add and modify to that question? Say for example, I start with like a literature review and I'm like, I have an idea of where I wanna go, uh, but then I start doing the literature review and then all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, there's a lot of research on this thing in particular that I really like. That question can always be slightly modified. So same question, but just like adding a couple of things and like changing things here and there. Is that possible? Of course, of course. So yeah, I think the question can change and shift and transform a lot. Um, You know, there is something to be said for the time that you invest in becoming an expert in a particular area. And so I have been fortunate to still always come back to my base knowledge in motivational processes and body image in particular, but I've gone on these different branches. I've kind of grown different branches off of that research as my interests have taken me in some different directions. The other thing I would say as a student is work with your advisor. So Mm -hmm. I think that you, it's really important 
to me that my students are very interested in what they're studying, but there's also a time constraint, right? So sometimes that might mean pushing through something that you don't absolutely love just to finish your master's degree, but I would hope that you're able to choose a topic that um, is at least somewhat interesting to you. I guess what I'm saying is if you're halfway through your thesis, you might have to push through to the end, mm-hmm. but there are certainly junctures where you can shift and change direction. And particularly in your PhD, I think that's part of the exploration process. Now, what's your favorite research so far? Oh, my favorite research. I have so many. I mean, what I've been studying the last few years pretty intensely, and, and I'm right in the middle of writing a first draft of a, a book chapter on mindfulness and exercise. So this is kind of, top of my mind, I'm thinking about mindfulness a lot. What is the role of mindfulness in our physical activity experiences? And I guess that's one of my favorites and for a couple reasons. Um, Mindfulness is something that brings us into the present moment, right? Which is also something that is, it has in common with flow, right? Flow states and intrinsic motivation, all of these really positive experiences that we can have while moving our body all relate to being present in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I really love this idea of thinking about how mindfulness can be applied to different physical activity pursuits that we have and how being more present can just really amplify the positive impacts of that experience, the positive impacts of moving our body. So that's one reason that mindfulness intrigues me is that I think that it might be a real key pathway in to even more positive physical activity experiences And the other reason is because of the way that it fundamentally shifts the way that we live in our bodies. So a lot of us, because of the culture that we're in and the emphasis on outward physical appearance, at least, and especially for young women, we spend a lot of our time thinking about what we look like from the outside. Mm -hmm. And we look in mirrors and we're checking ourselves and making sure that we appear okay to the outside world, even when we're on Zoom. And uh, what mindfulness does is it grounds you in that internal experience of being in your body. So it fundamentally changes the perspective that you have living in the world from an external one to an internal one. And that can be really, really powerful for kind of promoting more positive experiences in your body and leading to all kinds of positive body image outcomes, just to name one example. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, what can you tell me, because you, I know you talk about uh, motivation, and now you brought the, the term mindfulness, and you talk about being present in the moment. What can you tell me about enjoying physical activity? Is there a difference? So, for example, if I really enjoy, I love how to dance, and I go to a dance class, um, and I'm happy at the end of the class, but or I also go to a, you know, I don't like to play soccer that much, so I, I go to play soccer, and I don't enjoy it that much. Is there a difference? Yeah. Are you asking about if there is a difference in mindfulness as well? Or, yeah, can you rephrase that or just of tell course. me a little bit more yeah. about what you mean? Yeah, I'm, I've been, like, trying to um, ask these questions about, like, how to enjoy and if enjoyment has uh, adds into the physical activity itself. So do you have any thoughts on like what can like on uh, enjoying enjoyment, the enjoyment aspect and physical activity? Yeah, I don't know if this is the direction you're going, but I'm going to tell you what's kind of popping into my mind that I've thought about. One of the things that's pretty interesting about enjoyment is um, and like what we're attracted to and particularly the things that we choose to do unconsciously without really thinking about it. 
one of the trends in the exercise psychology literature has been this focus on more implicit processes that we don't think about. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, you might have had an experience running in physical education class as a 10-year-old that was really, really negative. Maybe you were running the mile with your class and it was a very negative, embarrassing experience where you didn't do very well. And that could color your running experiences forever. And it might be something that you don't even really think about, but because the memory is there and it's lodged in your brain and in your body, it really directs your activity. And that can happen in positive ways too, where you have an early positive experience and it really guides you. So one of the things I'm interested in is I think a lot of people who don't exercise regularly have that kind of negative. Mm. Uh, they think they're not going to enjoy it. They think that it don't fe- they won't feel good um, based on their past experiences. And I wonder if we can get people to be more mindfully present in those experiences, which means completely open awareness in a non-judgmental and accepting way so that they're really clearing, clearly seeing what the experience is as opposed to allowing it to be colored just from their past memories, if that makes sense. Yes. So if you really, like, you get on the, I don't know, you're walking on a trail or running, jogging on a trail and really feeling what does that feel like right now, I wonder if that could help people enjoy those activities more again. Mm-hmm. that they may be stopped enjoying at a certain point. Because what we know is that the physiological sensations from low to moderate levels of intensity are generally quite pleasant, especially moderate levels of intensity. There's a certain point where it becomes almost universally unpleasant, but that's at a quite high level of intensity. So for most people, they can find something that's enjoyable. Now, I do want to speak to like the different activities. It may just be that you're never going to like somebody is never going to like soccer and that's okay too and i would say keep sampling different activities but i would also be curious for people to try to go in with a completely open mind center yourself exactly in the present moment and truly be in that experience and feel what that activity feels like in your body mm-hmm. and then ask yourself did that feel good or did it not mm-hmm. yeah now this brings me to my next question because I know um, you teach yoga and you taught a yoga class um, and that's when I, I was like, oh my God, I have to know a little bit more about um, Dr. Ann. So when do you start teaching yoga and why do you decide to pursue your yoga training? I know because you're in academia and I'm sure like it, it, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of things and then you also decide, okay, well, I want to teach yoga as well. Yeah, I started I started practicing yoga seven years ago, and I did my teacher training four years ago. And at that time, the intent was to better under uh, honestly to better understand the role of mindfulness in movement, because the baseline purpose of yoga is mindfulness. It is to, uh, in some of the translated words of Pantanjali's Yoga Sutras, it is to calm the mental perturbations of the mind. So that monkey mind that's all over the place. Yoga and the movements and the asanas are specifically designed to help settle that so that one can be prepared to meditate and and to be more present. So that's the entire point of yoga. And so I was really curious to learn more about how that's achieved through the movements and specifically how teachers contribute to that. So one of my research interests really is, is how to cultivate and create these adaptive physical activity contexts. And a lot of that comes from the teacher or the instructor. So that was sort of my academic interest. I really, again, was following my research interests and wanting to learn at a deeper level how yoga teachers contribute to the mindfulness and shape that experience for the participants. 
Um, and then I, I thought, well, I'll teach when I, I'll teach one day, but I don't know when that'll be. And that day was about a year ago, just over a year ago. I started actually teaching on a regular basis, just usually one class a week. Um, and that for me has been, has been great. And it is, it is a bit of work, but it teaches me more about that mind body connection. There's something about putting a class together and the creativity of it to think really deeply about how I'm going to guide people into being present in their bodies and how to do what I just said about that enjoyment example of how to notice what they're feeling and experiencing with openness and acceptance and maybe even some curiosity so that it kind of, I feel like it heals that separation that so many of us have developed between our mind and our body. We're just completely separated of yoga can start to bring that back together and heal it and help us have a really positive and friendly connection with our body now i know you have you had students when you have students working on your lab uh, what would you like to share with students do you have any advice for them and what do you look for when before taking a student to work with you to mm. mentor him Yeah, maybe some general advice is to reach out to your professors and your instructors. Just do not hesitate to sit down and have a conversation. I think for most, I'll speak for myself, but I think for many of my colleagues too, that's one of our most favorite things to do is to have a student contact us who's interested in our work and wants to learn more about it and just have that conversation. And we get to learn about what the student's goals are, but you know, you don't really know what the possibilities are for you as a student until you start talking to people. So have as many of those conversations and meetings as you can. And I think you'll find that faculty are pretty willing to meet with you and make the time to do that. Uh, so that's a really critical step in shaping what you believe are the possibilities for you. And you may come across things that you had just never thought about before, mm -hmm. whether it's a career in research or a particular area of research or a particular opportunity that there is in your department to work with somebody. So I would say that's really important. Um, just keep reading, keep reading and, and bringing those things that interest you to your professors to talk to them about those things that interest you. Um, what do I look for? I think I look for one of the first things that I said about myself, which is that curiosity. They have to really want to do it. So once in a while, I might get a student who's pursuing physical therapy school and they just want to do research to tick a box, you know, to kind of check mm -hmm. that box and say, and I'm not as inclined to have that student work in our lab as I am to a student who's like, well, yeah, I'm going to physical therapy school, but I really see how this applies. I want to understand better how to motivate people because I know that's going to be an essential part of my job. So I want to see them have at least a little bit of curiosity or interest about it. And then you just can't underscore enough the importance of they're going to be committed and dependable and responsible and really accountable um, to the lab and to the group of people they're working with. I think as an advisor, one of my guiding principles is that I expect to work as hard for you as you work for me. So it's very much a two-way street. Mm -hmm. Like I'm working hard for you as a student and I'm going to guide you and give you every opportunity possible. And I expect that in return. And I feel like that has worked pretty well. And I think that the students get that and they know that I'm working hard for them and then vice versa. So I want the student that's going to do that, right? That's going to give back as much as I'm giving to them. 
Thank you for that. I have two more questions for you. Um, and those are questions that I always ask on my podcast. Uh, my first question is, did you move today? Uh, not very much. I walked around. Uh, my daughter and I are watering plants for a friend who's out of town. And I did mindfully walk around the yard and look at the plants. That's all I've done today. Hopefully some yoga later. Nice. What's movement for you? Oh, movement is movement's anything. Movement is, yeah, it doesn't just mean getting your heart rate up. It Movement is stretching and dancing and walking. Um, yeah, it's all of that. It's I One of my recent interests is in kundalini yoga, and I love how their meditations require you not to just sit still all the time, but how there's this, like, rotating your upper body around or moving in different ways. And, yeah, it's all movement. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, where can we find you online? Oh, that's a good question. I don't have the I don't have the um, website address at my fingertips. But if you search for the Psychology of Physical Activity Lab at WSU, you can see that's Washington State University. You can see a lot of summary of the kinds of research we do in the lab and some of our recent publications. You can also, of course, search for publications on Google Scholar and um, at Ann Cox Twenty One on Twitter, although I haven't been doing a lot on Twitter lately. Um, and I'm also on Facebook. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else that you would like to share with everyone listening? I think yeah, it's probably what you say all the time, Andrea, is not just have you moved today, but have you found a way to move that feels really good in your body? And if you haven't found that thing that helps you feel good moving in your body, keep looking, keep asking, and keep talking to people, and maybe pay a little bit more attention to what it feels like. Thank you so much again, Dr. Fervin, on my podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time, um, even though for you right now, it's uh, earlier than, than me here in Illinois. <laughs> You're welcome. You've made me think today. So thank you, Andrea. <laughs> of course. Thank you again. All right, guys, I hope that you moved today. And if you haven't, you still have time.